This is Mind Salad, a program of diverse weekly discussions about mental wellness with a rotating panel of licensed professional mental health counselors on a variety of mental health topics with guests and information to help you sort through life struggles. The information that is provided on this program is for informational purposes only and is not meant to treat or diagnose any mental health condition or be a substitute for therapy. This week, your host is Lexi Ellis from Into Freedom Counseling. Good morning and welcome to Mind Salad, a diverse discussion about mental wellness. This program will be rotating hosts with four different mental health counselors here in Colorado Springs, each of us with our own practices and our own unique perspectives. My name is Lexi Ellis, one of the four hosts. I am a licensed professional counselor and the owner of a small group counseling practice in Colorado Springs called Into Freedom Counseling. We serve a wide range of people in the community from kids to older adults, although the majority of our clinicians specialize in working with teenagers and young adults. We currently have about 10 counselors at our location and we continue to grow as the need for services grow. We're located on Austin Bluffs Parkway directly north of the nursery Falon Gardens. With each show, we will be discussing a variety of topics related to mental health with guests who are knowledgeable and passionate about a specific topic. Our guest today is David Franks, who is also a clinician at Into Freedom Counseling and Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center. David and I are both also military vets, so we will be focusing on that specific population today during our show. David, please introduce yourself and tell us why you have chosen to work with this specific population. Thank you, Lexi. Thank you for the introduction. I appreciate that. So my name is David Franks. I have a master's degree in criminal justice. I have a master's degree in um, clinical mental health counseling. I'm a licensed addiction counselor. I'm a licensed professional counselor candidate, and I'm an EMDR trained therapist. Um, I, As Lexi, as you already stated, I am also a, a veteran of the Army. Uh, I was in the Army from 1999 to 2010. Um, I am a disabled combat veteran. I was in uh, deployed in um, Iraq from 2004 to 2005, um, and I'm also a 100% disabled veteran as well. Thanks so much for uh, coming today and for the work that you do as well. It's really important. And, you know, serving our vets is something that I'm really passionate about as well. So I want to talk about mental health issues that come up specifically uh, with working with veterans. What do you see as the primary issues that um, that veterans come in with? Yeah, that's a great question. And what I see a lot of times is just a multi-complexity of issues. Um, with that being said, um, working at both Into Freedom Counseling and Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center, I see a lot of um, adjustment issues, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of trauma, a lot of substance abuse. There is just a, a multi-dimensional amount of things that um, service members and veterans um, alike both deal with, um, whether they've been out for 20 years or whether they just got out yesterday. One of the things that I really want to talk about today is just the the normalcy of mental health amongst veterans, um, and and what they experience and and kind of what they what they deal with on a day in a day out basis, and kind of what what stops them from really asking for help. That's a really great point, and I I want us to spend a little bit of time there. Uh, this idea that there are barriers to veterans seeking mental health. So I'd like to, to spend a little bit more time talking about that. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? 
you know, in the military, from my experience, and, and I can't speak for all veterans, but I can speak for myself, is that just this this hierarchical needs of, you know, like do as you're told and just you're indoctrinated into that process of as do as you're told type stuff. And um, that can cause a lot of distress for a lot of people. And so um, it's also a weakness in the in the service where if you do ask for help or if you do say something wrong, you can lose your job. You can lose your security clearance. You can be transferred from a job that you really love to sitting at a desk because you're called unfit or not normal. And so with that information, it's really hard for um, individuals, especially who are active dirty service members to really ask for help. But alongside with the veterans, it's a, it's a sense of pride. It's a sense of like, this is my identity. I went to combat. I experienced these things. Um, And so with them, it's more or less, you know, like I I don't even know where to start. I've been sitting in this process for, you know, five, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, or whatever it looks like. And I've been struggling and I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. I want to speak to uh, a piece that you mentioned about kind of the the structure of the military and um, people being scared to some degree to seek help. So I served as as a civilian, uh, what's called an MFLAC, a Military Family Life Counselor, for about two years on some of the bases here in Colorado Springs. And I, um, as a civilian, I you know wore civilian clothes. I did not mm-hmm. report to the military. I didn't report to the unit that I was assigned to. I was completely a separate entity, but I was serving the unit. Uh, so I was there. Um, completely outside of, you know, the structure, right? Mm -hmm. The structure that keeps people from seeking help. Mm -hmm. And there was still a huge barrier to people coming to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, you know, in talking with folks kind of on the side, not in my office, um, I got a lot of the same comments, which is, you know, a lot of these people uh, at one of the um, units I was with had high security clearance levels Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. were afraid to even be seen talking with me Mm -hmm. because of the implications of that. Like something might not be right with them. Uh Oh, you know, there's something going on. We really need to, um, you know, check in with them to see if they're fit for duty. And so that kept coming up over and over. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about the MFLAC program, I will say, is that we were not allowed to keep any records of any kind. We're not we're not allowed to um, diagnose people or write down any notes uh, or record who we're meeting with. However, there's still that stigma of I don't even want to be seen with you. So one of the ways that I did get around that is I would actually uh, meet with military service members outside the base. I would meet them at Starbucks. You know, we would just go grab um, a bagel or a coffee and mm-hmm. and out of uniform, they'd be out of uniform mm-hmm. and they would meet with me there mm-hmm. because that was safe. You mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. we both just look like two civilians talking, but I would actually be doing counseling with them. Mm-hmm. So I tried as hard as I could to kind of um, break down some of those barriers, but it was still a huge issue. And so that is definitely, you know, that having that structure in the military and then, um, you know, for, for people who spend a lot of time in the military, you know, Mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20 years, Mm -hmm. um, and then separating from that structure, it's still, it's still ingrained in their mind that you don't ask for help, Mm -hmm. that you just deal with stuff on your own, you try to figure it out. And so that, you know, lends to some pretty significant problems. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the specific issues that I wanted for us to talk about today is substance abuse. So how do you see that factoring into um, what veterans deal with? 
Yeah. And, and if I could, I'd like to share a story with my experiences with substance abuse. Um, I was, one of my first duty stations was Germany. Um, and in, in Germany, um, the, the drinking age is 18. And so, um, when I went to Germany, I was 19 years old. And, um, when I, when I was there, they said, you can drink as a service member because you're in a foreign country. And so that to me was really astonishing because here I am coming from America and coming from, you know, in the military where it was, uh, you know, before where you can't drink until you're 21. So that really showed me the culture of the military is you can be in a foreign country and adhere to their laws and you could be 19 years old and you could drink. And that was amazing to me first and foremost, but I was like, wow, this is really, um, this is really weird. And then as I continued to go out through this process, I realized that through the military, I realized that there's a lot of things that happen in the military that kind of breed substance abuse. Mm -hmm. One of them is cultural norms. The way us in the military handle things and the way that we uh, not even handle things, but the way that we celebrate, the way that we our military balls, everything that we do has to do around alcohol. And so the culture of alcohol and that it's okay to drink really is a breeding ground for substance abuse problems. Um, it's really a, a way, an entry way um, to service members gaining that substance abuse issues. Um, and, and what we know about alcoholism is that there's a gene that can be activated once somebody starts drinking or even not even activated, but they can kind of get that process through drinking. And so what happens is we, it's a breeding ground and then all of a sudden the gene starts happening. And then here we are, we're, we're struggling every day, day in and day out with drinking. We're showing up to work drunk. We're, um, you know, drinking where as soon as we get off, we're drinking, we celebrate we drinking. So there's just a breeding ground of just mm -hmm. not only just alcoholism, but um, take, for instance, today in Colorado, in Colorado, marijuana is legal. So how are we handling that situation where marijuana is looked down upon in the military, but we can drink? So right. so for there, there's there's the right. breeding ground here in Colorado. Now, um, part of the cultural norm is that people smoke marijuana. Right. And yeah. so in the same way, you're absolutely right. Um, drinking is, is the cultural norm in the military. And, you know, as soon as we would hit port, same thing as you were saying, David, as soon as we would hit port, everybody would plan where they were going to go get drunk. Um, and, and part of that is because when uh, I was in the Navy and mm -hmm. so we were on a ship, we were stuck on a ship and, um, we worked seven days a week, round the clock. And I'm yeah. sure you know, anybody that's on deployment, that's pretty typical. Mm -hmm. You don't have time off. You don't get Saturday and Sunday off. Yeah. Uh, and so when we would hit a port, you know, two months in, three months in, having not had any time off whatsoever, um, just working, you know, 10, 12 hour shifts every day for months at a time, people just need to blow off steam. Yeah. They, they need to decompress. Yeah. And that is the quickest, easiest way. Like, let's go have fun and get drunk and decompress. And, and it becomes a way of life. Absolutely. Yeah. It becomes part of that connection with the military. So they start mm -hmm. to, so a lot of us veterans start to connect with drinking with, you know, military service. And so um, when I talk about adjustment issues and when I talk about getting out of the military, um, it becomes a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, getting out of the military really leaves a hole inside of veterans veterans. This was my identity. This was what I did day in and day out. And I, I lived and breathed it. Now there's nothing there. And so what we, what I have found is that a lot of veterans, not every veteran, but a lot of veterans tend to turn to alcohol and, and other drugs and other substances to say, help me fill that void. Mm -hmm. And it goes and it just, it, it, it's just a, 
it's a spiral out of control. Yeah, and it's not only um, so. So we've talked about you know kind of the perfect storm, right? We've talked about how it's not okay to ask for help, and then alcohol being um, just part of the military culture. And so when somebody transitions out of that culture and they don't know how to ask for help then, you know, drinking really becomes a significant problem and other substances, right? And yeah. so yeah. that's why a lot of veterans, and of course not all, but a lot of veterans who may not necessarily be alcoholics, but they really wrestle with substance abuse because it has become their own, really their only coping mechanism for dealing yeah. with all of the transitions mm -hmm. in life, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, so that can be a really huge issue. Yeah. Let's talk about PTSD for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. I feel like that term is really thrown around quite a bit, uh, but it's not always used in a way that's representative of the actual diagnosis. So help us understand what it is and what it looks like. Yeah. So on a, on a, a basic level, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is experiencing, witnessing, or being exposed to a significant event that causes severe distress, avoidance, negative cognitions, nightmares, and can be expressed in many different ways, anger, aggressive behavior, anxiety, depression, um, and all these other things. So um, with that, um, there are some basic criteria in the DSM um, that really show us, and as far as mental health professionals, to to really be able to diagnose uh, PTSD. Um, so there's there's different criterion. Um, obviously, um, criterion A or is um, the person was exposed to death, threatened death actual or threatened serious injury um, or threatened sexual violence in the following way. So you have to have one of these um, to be able to meet the criteria. And one of it is either direct exposure, witnessing the trauma, learning that a, a relative or a close friend was exposed to the trauma or indirect exposure to adverse details of the trauma. So you have to have one of those in order to really obtain this, this mm -hmm. diagnosis. Um, the other one is intrusion symptoms. We talked about, uh, so the, the, the traumatic event is persistently re-experienced in the following ways. And again, we have to have one of these. So whether it's unwanted upsetting memories, nightmares, flashbacks, emotional distress after exposure to the traumatic reminders, um, physical reactivity after exposure to trauma reminders. Um, so that's criterion B. So we've gone over criterion A, criterion B, and then criterion C is the avoidance piece. And, and I said that in the in the brief overview, this avoidance. Um, so we, again, we have to have uh, one of these. Um, so it's avoidance of trauma-related stimuli after the trauma. So it's trauma-related thoughts or feelings and it's external reminders. So avoiding those processes. Um, Criterion D is uh, negative alterations in cognitions and or mood. And again, we have to have two of these. Um, so it's uh, negative thoughts or feelings that began or worsened after the trauma. Um, and so it's really important to look at this from a clinical perspective, saying um, that began or worsened after the trauma. Um, so it's inability to recall the key features of the trauma, overly negative thoughts and assumptions about oneself or the world, exaggerated blame of self or others causing or negative affects. Um, criterion E is alterations in arousal or reactivity, uh, meaning that trauma-related arousal and reactivity that began or worsened after the trauma in the following ways. So again, when I talked about the aggressive behavior, the anxiety, the depression, um, hypervigilance, um, the fight, flight, or freeze mentality, those kinds of things. Um, and again, the criterion F, so when we're doing diagnosing, it's really important to pay attention to time. How long has this individual been experiencing this? And one of the requirements of PTSD is um, for more than one month. 
Um, and then last but not least, it's functional significance. So we have to have this in order to really diagnose, and this is required. Um, and so it's symptoms creating distress or functional impairment, whether social or occupational. Um, so it's really paying attention to all of these together to really formulate that PTSD diagnosis, especially in clinical terms. So the first one you mentioned, the uh, criteria A, the stressor, right? So that's somebody experiencing a trauma or witnessing a trauma. That in and of itself does not mean that that person is going to experience post-traumatic stress disorder. It also then means that their um, their lives are significantly impacted in mm-hmm. a way that they cannot function right. because they're experiencing distressing thoughts and nightmares and flashbacks and and all of these other criteria that you went through and it's lasting or you know the symptoms have been going on for more than a month yeah so that's really important for people to understand that just because somebody experienced a trauma does not necessarily mean they're going to have PTSD. Um, there's very specific criteria that are, are pretty significant, right? Yeah. So somebody who is experiencing PTSD are often really struggling. Yeah. And, and they're having a difficult time functioning in most areas of their life. Right. Right. If you are just joining us, this show is Mind Salad, a diverse discussion about mental wellness. My name is Lexi Ellis, and I'm the owner of a group counseling practice in Colorado Springs called Into Freedom Counseling. Today, we're talking about veterans and mental health, and my guest is David Franks, who is both a veteran and a clinician at Into Freedom Counseling and Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center. David just gave us an overview of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. David, how does combat or military-related PTSD differ from other types of PTSD, or does it? Oh, great question. I think a lot of times people try to say, oh, I have PTSD from combat, or I have PTSD from this or that or whatever. Um, if if we look at back at what I was talking about PTSD, there's no specific as far as combat PTSD versus regular PTSD. It's just PTSD. And so something I want to highlight with as far as military veterans and, and active duty service members is that from my experience, we experience the same life and the same stuff that you know civilians experience but just on a different level. We still deal with um, adjustment issues. We still have relationships. We still have families. We still have kids. We still have, you know, um, a job to do just much like the civilian, but it's, it's different. Um, And really when we're talking about um, PTSD with service members, we're talking about a a frame and a word that I really like to talk about, which is moral injury. Um, Moral injury is where um, we as human beings are taught right and wrongs, morals. We grow up with these morals. And in the military, we have to push those aside sometimes to really, um, to do our jobs. And so when we are, uh, let's say for instance, some of us are Christians and we're told, um, to, to follow the the commandments or follow the Bible. And one of them is that we shall not take somebody else's life. And so when we are placed in a situation where we have to take somebody else's life, that causes us internal distress and significant pressure on ourselves. And, and a lot of us deal with that day in and day out. So, um, when we talk about PTSD and vets, we talk about some of these moral injuries, injuries that we can experience. And, and, um, with that, um, you know, it's, it's the indoctrination, um, that's in order to function in that environment. You know, uh, when we are in that environment and when we're training and we're training to fight and we're in combat, um, we, we have to disassociate. 
we have to take ourselves out of what's reality and put ourselves into that fight, flight, or freeze. So that fight, flight, or freeze becomes the norm, mm -hmm. which is that, again, that breeding ground of trauma. Because we cannot, we struggle with um, experiencing and, and really taking that in during those moments. And so with the the requirement of that one month or more, um, I, I find that a lot of times it may not hit the service member until three months down the road, a year down the road, 10, 20 years down the road about what they experienced that is causing them significant mm -hmm. distress. And so really it's, it's looking at that, um, not just the, the complex or not just the, the PTSD, but the complex PTSD that service members really, um, really experience among them. Um, and last but not least, just the unique challenges and experiences as a way of life. I mean, Service members who are deployed or who go to the field or, you know, who go to trainings, they're separated from their family a lot. So not only are they having to deal with this fight, flight or freeze or I'm going to be in imminent danger, they have to worry about their families back home. They have to worry about their kids and their wives or the reunification when they come back, what that's going to look like. Or, And again, they have to put all their lives on hold just to go, you know, to these trainings or to these deployments. So it's it's really important to kind of understand, like, as far as PTSD, whether combat or regular it's just PTSD. Some of the underlying issues are, are a little bit different. Yeah. Right. Um, specific to, like you said, some of the moral injuries that, um, you know, combat vets experience. Mm -hmm. You talked about this indoctrination piece and how that's essential uh, in order to function in the military just during normal times, but especially during, uh, you know, times of war. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, if somebody is in that environment uh, for an extended period of time, right, they do learn to dis disassociate mm -hmm. from their reality because mm -hmm. it's what they have to live in. Mm -hmm. They are living in a heightened state of arousal yeah. all the time. And so yeah. uh, you talked about how sometimes it takes a service member um, a long time to recognize that they are actually struggling. And that's really a part of it is that they're still in that state and they have to be removed from that state of trauma to be able to recognize that that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times that doesn't happen until they get out of the service. Right. Um, because it's constant. I mean, if somebody spends, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in the service, they have multiple deployments going on. Mm -hmm. So it's that constant hyperarousal state over and over and over again. So I have a, a client right now whose husband is special forces. And we talk about this quite a bit, how um, he's unable to access his emotions because of the work he does. And it's almost counterintuitive for him to even do that right now because he's still in the military and it would be um, potentially life-threatening for him to to do that and then have to go back in to you know a, a really uh, difficult high state of arousal um, potential you know situation where they're you know um, hunting people down or something, right? right? It's really difficult to vacillate between accessing your emotions and not accessing your emotions yeah. and completely disassociating. So yeah. they almost have to stay in that state until, like you said, somebody actually gets out of the military right. and and then they don't know how yeah. to do it, right? right, right. Um, it, it's not what they've done for a long time and it feels really uncomfortable. And then there's there's, again, that piece of asking for help, right? How does treatment look different for uh, veterans with PTSD versus other populations? 
Wow, that's a great question. I think um, if I could give anybody in this moment um, just just a piece of advice, it would be it's okay to ask for help. Um, I know that a lot of veterans that I come across have said, um, you know, I don't have anything wrong with me. Nothing's going on. Um, when really they're experiencing a lot of different um, anxiety and depression and PTSD. And so, um, again, I just want to reiterate, like, it's okay to, to ask for help. There are some of us like myself and and like you, Lexi, and other clinicians out here in Colorado Springs and even Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center who are willing to help, who want to sit with you in that um, and just listen and just give you the tools and necessities to just help. Um, so, in regards to uh, how does treatment look for different veterans with PTSD and other populations, um, you know, I think we talked talked about it before. It's that indoctrination period. It's it's about don't ask for help. Nothing's wrong with you. Keep the mission moving forward and those kinds of things. So we so us as clinicians, especially me, have to really break through those barriers for those men and women about, you know, it's OK to talk. It's OK to come in and seek services. It's OK. Um, there are a lot of us private practice who don't diagnose, who, you know, who won't disclose this information to your unit. You won't lose your security clearance. Um, you can come in and have a safe place to talk. And so um, really just looking at some of those barriers and breaking down some of those barriers and, and really just helping you access your emotions and your feelings in those moments. Um, and then again, it's, it's, um, a sense of pride. A lot of veterans have a sense of pride about their service and that's amazing. And I, and I, I have that as well, but it's also looking at some of those barriers. Like maybe if we start working on some of the things, maybe we'll lose some of those memories or, you know, lose some of those, those thoughts and those feelings, or we'll lose our sense of self if we go to therapy. And so I just want to encourage each and every one of you guys to say, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So you bring up a really interesting point, which is this identity piece and how for uh, for some people, especially that have spent a significant time in the military, um, that becomes their identity, what they did in the military, their association with the military. And so there's uh, what I was hearing you say, David, is that there's a fear um, uh, that somehow, you know, processing through trauma is going to result in uh, somebody kind of losing that sense of identity with mm -hmm. the military. Yeah. They they need to like detach themselves from the military and as a result it's no longer going to be a part of them, right? Right. Um and then the other piece of that is you know, if they did lose people in combat, right, that they cared about, um processing that and I think this is true for for a lot of people just in general if you've lost somebody you really care about, it's almost like grieving that person almost seems like it's letting them go right and it might um deter people from wanting to do that especially if uh you know somebody lost a, a good buddy in combat mm -hmm. right it's like there's so many different components of that you know this is um so, you know this person uh, got killed but i didn't and so i need to hold their memory yeah right yeah yeah. And along with that goes hold that traumatic experience about what happened in that, how they lost their, their friend or how they lost this person. And so if they let go of that memory, they feel like sometimes they may lose that part of the memory of that person. So there's yeah. definitely a connection there. What are some specific resources to veterans that you would suggest? Wow, that's a great question. Um, as a, as a service member who, um, who's experienced PTSD, um, I have, had a, a great um, experience with a lot of veteran service organizations here in Colorado Springs 
and especially throughout the country. And just some of those are really just um, here in Colorado Springs. We have what's called Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center. Um, it's a one stop shop for veterans and family members to really help uh, veterans with anything, whether it's, you know, resources or employment or behavioral health. And then um, one resource that I really find it can be anonymous as, as far as veterans is concerned. There's a Facebook page called Veteran to Veteran Info. And it's really like, uh, again, it's if you need help, if you are struggling or if you're looking at doing some disability ratings and stuff like that, you can definitely reach out to them. And there's a lot of great veterans on that page. Another one is the VA. I know, I know the VA. We always say the VA doesn't help, but I always encourage everybody to start there. Go to the VA because that's Mm -hmm. what they're there for. Important, important VA uh, Veterans Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255 is a really, really great place to start. So if you are a veteran and you're experiencing uh, suicide thoughts, or you're just struggling and you can't sleep, there is somebody always 24 hours on that line who is willing to talk to you. Operation TBI Freedom, the Independence Center here in Colorado Springs really helps with that. Um, if you're looking for treatment, we have we have private practitioners in the community who are veterans who are you know who are providing services to veterans. We also have the UCCS Veterans Health and Trauma Center. It's really good at, at helping. Um, but there's a lot of great different other things like the American Region Legion, excuse me, Wounded Warrior Project, Project Healing Waters that does fly fishing. So there are a lot of great ways that veterans and service members can gain connection with other veterans. And just get back to that, um, getting out of the house and and really starting to gain connection with people who know what they've been through. If you want help, there's help out there, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Mind Salad, a show that focuses on mental health issues from different perspectives. Today, David and I, who are both military veterans, talked about issues relevant to vets. Hopefully, this show will be an encouragement to those vets who've never reached out for help but need to. My name is Lexi Ellis, and I'm a counselor at Into Freedom Counseling. If you are looking for a counselor in Colorado Springs, we currently accept Medicaid and Cigna insurance as well as private pay. You can reach out to us through our website at Into freedomcounseling.com or into freedom contact at gmail.com. Next week, your host on Mind Salad will be Yakita Renfro from New Beginnings Therapy. Until next time, remember that our journey is about progress rather than perfection. You've been listening to Mind Salad, a discussion of mental wellness issues and topics with a rotating panel of mental health providers. Heard every Sunday at 1130 a.m. on KPPF. And be sure to listen to the podcast on Podbean. Into Freedom Counseling is a female and veteran-owned mental health counseling practice in Colorado Springs. They're in the business of helping people become the best version of themselves. They strive to offer clients a safe, private, non-judgmental space to talk, explore, and journey through the process of self-discovery and growth. Their compassionate group of clinicians provide services for adolescents and adults. To schedule a free consultation, call 719-755-4035 or go to intofreedomcounseling.com.